All right, back at it here on The Fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Peter. And we got to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Let's talk to the Cleveland.com's Ashley Bastock here on 92.3 The Fan. Well, Ashley, how you doing? I'm good. It's been a long time. I know. Well, you've been in your Ashley Bastock eras. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to finish the rest of that sentence. Whatever that is, you've been in it. I've been in it, man. I'm in my Browns era right now, I guess, <laughs> if we had to pick. I'm in my Browns midseason era because, man, I like joke. I had, you know, a player ask me, oh, yeah, it was Donovan Peoples-Jones before he got traded. He asked me, he's like, how have you been? And I'm like, good. And he's like, what's been going on? I'm like, quite literally nothing. All I do is pretty much think about this team. And he was like, oh, wow. And I'm like, I know. It's, trust me, it's not as sad as it's that's like, funny you guys are very time consuming you know i i sometimes do i i get mad every now and then you know I, i'm not a mad person but i i get mad every now and then when i think about it and i'm like wait i i spend more time thinking about the browns on a day-to-day basis and the browns sometimes spend thinking about the browns and that's that's when we have a problem oh absolutely i mean i think too I'm to the point now where, like, you know, most people, I think, probably have dreams about their work, but, like, (laughs) I think it's just an extra weird level for me when, like, I'm dreaming about hypothetical interviews and, like, (laughs) hypothetical game situations and, like, all this stuff. It's just really, like, truly, I don't even get a respite when I go to sleep at night most nights. Like, I know I had a Browns-related dream, work-related dream last night. I don't remember what it was, but that's generally, like, how it goes for me. I think my dreams for the most part are like mundane in like they're very day to day, but like they're always anxiety inducing for the most part. Like it's never like a happy dream. <laughs> it's always like, Oh my God, the game just ended and I have to get downstairs and I can't find the locker room. Like it's like always like a stress dream. I hate it so that, much. That's but, so funny. I, there's two dreams yeah. that really bother me that I end up having. The first one is when I clean my house and then I wake up and the house is dirty and I'm like, Oh no, Nothing got done. That's the worst. You spend you spend like four hours in your dream cleaning, and then you get nothing done. And the other one is I'm just sitting there and I'm hosting a talk radio show, and it's the same You're call me. over and over and over again. And oh. I'm I'm surprised in my dreams it's not just fires to Fansky over and over and over again. But that's a different story for a different time. Right, like so it's it's sort of based in reality, but not like <laughs> the actual reality basis of recurring phone calls that you guys do get and have been getting this season. I like that Donovan Peoples-Jones is like shocked at how hard the reporters work. I, I find that part to be a little funny. You know, I do think like in the last couple of years, since we, we've only had locker room access back for two years, and I do have moments with these guys where I realize like, oh, they, they maybe don't realize what we do on a day-to-day basis, and it's kind of good to remind them so that they know like, I'm not coming from a bad place necessarily, you know, like I think sometimes like the media can be not to make this all, you know, meta conversation about the media, but I do think sometimes they can think of us as almost like this mythical boogeyman. And it's like, (laughs) no, like we're, we're individual people. We all approach the job differently. We maybe have different goals um, and different things we want to write about. But I remember even last year talking to a player and he was surprised, like, that I, I had remembered somebody close to him. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, when I wrote this story, I, like, I spent months working on it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like this weird, sometimes you do have those moments where I think ultimately, I hope, it allows me to do my job better because the player realizes, like, oh, like, I'm actually, like, very invested in this and working very hard. And I think a lot of times, athletes when they see that you're working hard as a reporter like i think with most of them 
it garners you some respect because we might not be doing the same things, but like they get that part of it and like being competitive and trying to do your best every day. So I, I like having those moments, even when they are a little funny sometimes. Oh, it's a good reminder. There's no doubt about it. Uh, all right, so how was the locker room after Sunday's game? Man, it was a fun locker room to be in. That's for sure. I just how it worked out. And most times I would try to avoid doing something like this, but I only talked to defensive players after the game, but they were of course, very happy. It was the first shutout win since 2007 it was funny in real time. Some of the guys already knew that some guys were finding out as like we asked questions about it. Um, but I think overall, like I'm, I'm struck by when things are going good, especially, but I would say pretty much all the time, even when things are going bad, this team to me, especially on the defensive side of the ball, just seems to have like a genuine closeness about it specifically the defensive line. And like, I think that's so impressive because so many of those guys are new, right? Like Mm -hmm. the only holdover on the interior defensive line is Jordan Elliott. And you would never guess that like, this is the first year that Jordan Elliott, Dalvin Tomlinson, Shelby Harris, Mo Hurst, Zadarius Smith, Obo Garanquo were in this locker room together. Like the way they interact with each other and joke around and get like genuinely happy for one another I think is like a big part of their success. Like all those interior guys on the B line were like great quotes, I think, but they were all like so excited to talk about Dalvin Tomlinson and like Shelby Harris talking about Dalvin Tomlinson is better than Dalvin talking about Dalvin. (laughs) Some amazing quotes, but like, it's really like exciting. I think to kind of for them to gel like this and like produce on the field. But I think it also means a lot when a vet like Shelby Harris, who's in like the ninth or 10th year of his career said like, no, like you guys don't understand. This is the best team from like a personality standpoint, the room, how they all get along. He said, this is the best team he has ever been on in that regard. So I think that means a lot coming from those guys that have been around the block a few times. Yeah, I was reading your article at Cleveland.com, Ashley Bastock joining us, about how the defense knew the takeaways were only a matter of time and how they've started to, to get them in the past couple of weeks. Now, it feels like you know there was a point of emphasis, and, and Stefanski was talking about this, and Schwartz was talking about this, how they wanted to make sure they could have the luck basically go their way. The, obviously, there's no, there's no fixing that, Ashley. It just it feels like last week, whether it's them playing a bad Cardinals team, we can account it for that, or them just living up to what they've always expected to be, defense is something different. Yeah, the takeaways are so interesting to me because I think that it's this really interesting dichotomy. Like, you have to be aggressive to create takeaways, right? But Mm -hmm. you can't be overly aggressive and try to force them. And that's something Jim Schwartz has talked about. Because if you get into that forcing mode, you're more prone to give up explosive plays, which, like, you don't want that because then you got guys jumping routes and maybe they're reading things wrong and, and all that stuff they're trying to get after the quarterback, they're missing the run, like those things can happen. So I think they found this really like delicate balance. And like, yeah, I've tried to like couch everything I write after this Cardinals game with like, yes, it's great that they did this against the one and eight Cardinals, but now you're in the meat of this schedule, which all of these guys have acknowledged. But what's interesting is it's not just the Cardinals game. They've had multiple takeaways in each of the last three and nine of their 13 for the season have come in these games now. So they really have started to stack them. They're getting that net differential trending in the the right direction. Now they're still at minus four for the season, 
in terms of how they've given the ball away. P.J. Walker's interceptions didn't really help them there. But I do think they did a really nice job of just kind of, hey, these takeaways are going to come. A lot of the reason that they aren't coming is because we're getting guys off the field so fast that there's not really a chance to turn the ball over. And they stayed patient but still stayed aggressive. And I think Shelby Harris said, hey, like the key to takeaways is getting 11 guys to the ball. So as long as you have 11 guys that are playing aggressive, eventually you're going to have to have something fall your way. So I think that's what we're seeing in that some of these instances where they've created the takeaways, they haven't gotten off the field as fast, but then they've capitalized in other ways. Over to the offense, is Deshaun back in your mind? It's tough because, again, this is the 1-8 and eight Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, I was saying to myself all day, same thing. Yeah, and, like, you know, I think the one thing that the Cardinals defense had done pretty well up until, you know, Sunday was actually get after opposing quarterbacks, and that's great. But the Cardinals defense is not the Ravens defense. It's not the Steelers defense. And both of those defenses looked pretty good when they played the Browns the first time around. And, and I'll include the Ravens who did that with their secondary still pretty banged up. But I think the true test for me on how the shoulder looks and holds up, and obviously he did what he had to do on Sunday, I think like the biggest takeaway for me is it's great that they didn't have a repeat of the Colts start from him. But now it's like, okay, how are you going to react and how are you going to hold up against these really physical edge rushers, especially who we know how the NFL works. These guys know how his shoulder is, and I'm sure they are going to be all that more aggressive in trying to get after him. But I think this is really the true test. I'm like not ready to say definitively, like, yes, this is everything is going to be fine. And Deshaun Watson is back. And this is great. I think this is the time, the most, maybe right now, you know, definitely through what we've been through so far, this is the most important games they're about to play right now, given how these AFC North standings are given everything that's gone on with Deshaun Watson, and given the caliber of edge rushers they're about to face in the next two well, games. You, so too. you said games. Yeah, you, so you, you think it's the yeah. a combo between the Ravens and the Steelers, not just the Ravens, and then we'll go from there? I really do. Yeah, I really do. I think that Steelers game is almost just as important, right? Like, mm. I think, I think too, I'd be happy. You know, this has been a topic of discussion this week, and I feel like it will be. I think you have to go at least 1-1 one one in these games. You can't go 0-2. You can't drop to 500, and you can't fall that far behind in this division right now. And if I had to pick right now, I would assume this team is more likely to beat the Steelers than they are to go down to Baltimore and beat the Ravens. But I definitely, that doesn't mean I don't think it can't happen. Like, I definitely think they could get the best of this Ravens team if they play as well as they can. Because, like, yes, the Ravens beat down on Cleveland last time they played them, but the Browns didn't have Deshaun Watson. And DTR looked, you know, a bit overwhelmed having to make his first start on a day that he found out two hours before the first kick that he was going to have to do that. So I think that game was just kind of a mess, and the Ravens took advantage of the way they should. I think, though, when it comes to, like, from a matchup standpoint, what's Mm going to be really important and what maybe puts this gives this Ravens game a slight edge, even though I think they're both important, is Todd Munkin did some really interesting scheme things against the Browns defense this time. And he was really, I think, the guy that we've seen so far that figured out a way to take advantage of certain things in a Jim Schwartz defense. So I'm curious now to see how Jim Schwartz and the defense kind of, you know, this is the chess match aspect of it all. 
how are they going to counter what the Ravens showed them last time and vice versa and who's going to have the edge there? But Ashley, something that worries me a little bit, uh, and I listen, for weeks all I said is throw the ball to Amari Cooper and good things happen, but it kind of felt like in this last game that was like they were a one-trick pony of sorts. Like it was, it was good that it worked between Deshaun and Amari, but it, I didn't see much else really truly working. I'm legitimately, I think, still concerned about the depth of this pass-catching core right now, just the way things have worked out. Because, yes, like it does feel like, thank God for the Browns, Amari Cooper is as good as he is. And thank God he's one of the most underrated guys in the league and has been able to perform the way that he has. But after he traded DPJ, who, okay, like he wasn't able to get much going this year, obviously, but he was almost a 1,000-yard receiver last year. So that hurts you. And then you've had David Bell dealing with an injury the last week. So you can't really get him up to speed, which he hadn't had a chance yet this year. And now you got Marquise Goodwin in the concussion protocol. So that's another guy. Mm-hmm. And you have a rookie in Sed Tillman who they want to try to get going. But again, he's a rookie. And I think it's really hard to predict what his output is going to look like for this upcoming year. So I think off the top, like, you know, you hope that you get maybe some more big-time performances from a guy like David Njoku would go a long way right now. Um, he's, like, number yeah. one on my list, right? Because that receiver room suddenly, I think that and Elijah Moore, I didn't even mention Elijah Moore, but, like, 14 yards on two catches against the Cardinals or whatever it was. Like, he hasn't jumped off the page the way that he was in the preseason. So there's still a chance of that happening, but... I think right now they really need to get like David Njoku or Elijah Moore to kind of really step up, hopefully, and have some big games here because a team like the Ravens is more equipped to try at least to stop Amari Cooper than the Cardinals were. So I definitely agree. I mean, I think it's like maybe my one of my biggest areas of concern on this team right now um, because that depth to me, it just feels like they are one specific guy away from that receiver room suddenly being dicey and that would be if Amari Cooper got hurt or something. All right, last one, Ashley. I, I gotta ask you, uh, because I haven't talked to you since Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift became a thing. <laughs> I, I remember one time when you did a story on Travis Kelsey. Was it on Travis yeah. Kelsey or the Kelsey brothers? I don't remember if it, it was both. Well, it was It was the Kelsey brothers. It was, it was actually a really, really fun story that I got to do, um, you know, and I hopefully the Browns make it a bit further this year so we can stay a bit more Browns focused, obviously, uh, later into the winter and stuff. But I did a story talking to a bunch of Cleveland Heights folks about the Kelsey brothers. And gosh, I loved it. I didn't talk to the Kelsey brothers that week because, again, it was right before the Super Bowl. But to hear the way people talk about them from out there, like it was so, so nice. And like I grew up in the area, right? But I'm a West Side kid, so Mm -hmm. wasn't really that familiar with what was going on. Cleveland Heights in the late aughts and what they were doing, but you just genuinely see like the the respect that people have for them there. Uh, so I did have that connection, but I will say like it has just been so much fun <laughs> for me because I'm being like an NFL reporter and a Swifty means like I have to do a lot of explaining to my non NFL friends <laughs> about the NFL. Um, it's, it's very funny. And like NFL people, I have to do a lot of explaining about Taylor Swift too, but my like proudest accomplishment in all this is I called this relationship a full month before it came public. And I did tweet about this and I went back and I found the tweet cause it was going to drive me crazy. But I double checked. It was a full month 
Well, and I, I, I remember, Ashley, I remember us having a convo, and I, I'm pretty sure you brought up the idea of the two of them dating. And this was yeah. this might have been a, like more than a month before, because I remember, yeah. I just I remember my my clap back to it all was the idea that Travis Kelsey's former girlfriend, the one he dated before, didn't have flattering yeah. things to say about him. And I was like, yes, I don't know how I feel about that. About this. Yeah. We did talk about this because we talked about like the J- Joe Burrow saying he's not a Swifty and Aaron Rodgers being a huge Swifty and, and all of that. But I, you know, I'm a Kelsey cat podcast listener. So I listened to an episode, you know, I listened to the original episode where we talked <laughs> about wanting to make a bracelet with her number, blah, blah, blah. We've all seen the clip by now. But then there was an episode a few weeks later, they were on like a little hiatus from training camp. And Travis was talking about growing out his training camp mustache and Jason jokingly made a comment and said, I wonder what Taylor Swift would think of that mustache. <laughs> and Travis like kind of stopped and said, no comment or something to that okay. effect. And I immediately texted my friend, my good friend, Danny from college. She's also a huge, she's a huge NFL fan, huge Bills fan though. Cause she's from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I texted her on September 2nd. And I said, I am convinced Travis Kelsey and Taylor are at least talking And she said, what new evidence is there? And I said, the Kelsey podcast, I explained the whole thing. And I, she said, say less, I'm convinced. And (laughs) I I just, I tweeted it out because I'm like, I sucked this out. And then October 2nd news breaks that they are quietly hanging out or whatever the terminology was we were using from the publicist. Um, And yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I love it. I think it's so exciting that. There's a Cleveland connection there. However, how small, however small. And I'm most importantly though, I'm glad I was right. Like, cause that's, <laughs> that's what I care about. It's all about being right. I was correct. Um, <laughs> I was on the case. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was on the case. I get to tell everyone that for the rest of the time. Like, you know what I mean? That's what's most exciting in this for me. Oh, fantastic job. You, you nailed it. I'm proud of you. Uh, Ashley, we'll check you out at cleveland.com as we always do. And we'll catch up with you a little bit, uh, a little bit later on as the season progresses. Thank you so much for giving us a few minutes. Sounds good. Thanks.